take your Bibles now and open them up to Luke chapter 5. And I really, really hope that as we've been studying through Luke, we're going to finish Luke chapter 5, that as you've been looking at Jesus through the eyes of Luke, the writer, that as he tells this story of Jesus Christ on earth, what Jesus did and who Jesus Christ was and what Jesus Christ accomplished, that you here are growing in grace and knowledge of Jesus and you're becoming more and more fascinated with him, more and more drawn to him more and more impressed by him. It's all about Jesus. And if that's what's happening to you, if you're getting more excited and and you rest deeper and more attracted by and more set free by Jesus Christ, then that means I'm doing my job well and that means your life is going to go well. Luke here spends his entire life writing the gospel of Luke, 24 chapters, and then continues and pens the book of Acts as well, 28 chapters detailing what lives look like that believe what he detailed in the gospel of Luke. That if you read the book of Acts, it's people who read the book of Luke and said, I want Jesus in my life. What does that look like? And it looks like lives on purpose, lives changed. As we draw near to Jesus, everything changes, everything becomes different. And here Jesus is dealing with today one of the biggest obstacles and roadblocks to having fellowship and intimacy with him. You see, Jesus Christ didn't come down here handing out high fives to everyone saying, y'all doing a great job, just wanted to come and check on your progress. Ah." He didn't show up as a foreman in that way. He showed up and looked around and said, oh man, what in the world is going on here? And he marched from the birth of his virgin mom, he marched to the cross on purpose to save the world from two R's, rebellion, and religion from two camps that will predominantly keep us out of relationship with Jesus Christ. And when Jesus landed on the earth, he looked to the rebellious, the rebels, the carnal, the sinners, the thugs, the evil. He looked to them. He said, guys, I got a different way. Follow me. And he called them out of their darkness. And then he looked to the religious, the ones who had assembled their own list of to-dos and to-don'ts, and had done them well enough where they didn't need God. And he looked at them and said, eh, not going to count. And he called them out of their religiosity, their pride, their Phariseeism. And he called them out of the ditch, both ditches, to the road, which was, listen, a relationship with Jesus. Did you know that either ditch will keep you from the road? It's just logic. If you're in the ditch, you're not on the road. If you're a religious person here today, or if you're a rebellious person here today, either way, you're not walking where God intends you to walk. And Jesus said, I'm not, not going to have that. I'm going to do everything I can to show that that is who I am and that is what I do. That way the people that follow me would not just survive, but the people that follow me would thrive. See, Jesus came to give life and life mediocrely. Jesus came to give life and okayly. Jesus came to give life and all rightly. No, Jesus came to give life and life Abundantly, that's a real word. All those other words were fake. Don't use those words today. People will laugh at you, not with you. Jesus came to give life abundantly. And Luke, who saw this go down, said, I'm gonna write this stuff down so you are sure of the things you've been informed of, so that your life will be different, so that you will know and have purpose in everything you do. Now, here's the deal, though. Jesus ends last week with this statement, standing at Levi's house. Levi was a tax collector, a thug, a rebel, one of those guys. And he's at Levi's house having a party, house party. And Jesus is asked by the religious police at that time, why are you here at this party? And Jesus would look at them and answer them in today's study. What did you ask me? Why are you here at this party, Jesus? What's going on with you and your whole life? What are you doing down here? And Jesus would look at them with his eyes and say, come again, ask me to my face, say it again. What did you ask? Why am I here with these people? And he would give them four different answers today we're going to study. Why am I here? It's kind of important that you as believers would listen in on this discussion. And what's Jesus all about? What's he doing? I should probably know this because if I know this, I'll do life right, not wrong. As a matter of fact, let's just read verses 31 and 32. Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Ooh, stop right there, eyes up here. Jesus is at a party of sinners who had just repented and possibly 
sinners that were repenting. It would be like a doctor surrounded by many sick people. And a Pharisee, a religious police officer, saying, why are you hanging out with all these sick people? And the doctor would say, what's that? You, you surprised at what's happening here? Let me break it down for you. Let me give you a few illustrations. Get on my level. And Jesus here would help these Pharisees and us as well to get on his level. Firstly, with this illustration, the well, they don't need the physician, but the sick do. The ones who've come to that conclusion in their life that they're not okay, that they have blown it, that they do have a big piece missing from their soul. Have you come to that conclusion in your life? Have you willingly raised your hand and said, oh, yeah, I'm totally out there. <laughs> I need some real big help. You see, Jesus didn't come to make bad men better. He came to make dead men live. He didn't come to just patch things up and give you a little tool belt to improve your life and just apply these three things into your life and you'll have a best life now. Jesus didn't come for that. Instead, he said, no, no, I'm going to die for you and do something completely new. I'm not just going to give you some advice. I'm going to give you healing from within. So deep. Now look at verse 33 before we pray. They went on. Then they said to Jesus, well, why do the disciples of John, well, they fast often, and they make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours, they eat and drink. They're at this party. Why is John so serious and we're so serious and you guys are having so much fun? And again, Jesus Christ being asked a point-blank question. Why are you having so much fun, Jesus? What in the world are you doing here? That's a good question, and you need to have a good answer. Jesus, what are you all about? What's your story? Why are you here at Levi's house? A bunch of other people, religious folks, are fasting and praying, but you guys are partying and feasting. What gives? And Jesus gives them the answer. But before we get there, I would ask you to bow your heads and pray with me and ask God to anoint his word and bless this time that we might receive from it. Father, in Jesus' name now, we surrender to you and we look to you, the author, the finisher of our lives, the giver and the perfecter of faith, the sustainer, the one who created, the one who decides. We surrender to you. You're it. We're students. You're the teacher. And we ask, Lord, that your word would again change our lives and impact us deeply, open up those recesses that need to be healed today. And I surrender myself to you, Lord, as your teacher, that you, Lord, would get all the glory and that we would get much edification and that our lives would change. We say all of this, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, I'll tell you what, Jesus, he, he didn't come to the world to give it a high five, to give it a pep talk, to give it a hand up, to just give it a little help over the wall. He came to change it completely. He came to save it from itself. And this is so base in our understanding of Christianity that when Jesus came to the world, the sinners, they figured that out. The rebels, they knew. Oh, Oh, you can change everything. You can forgive me from the deepest recesses of my heart. The religious people took him a little longer to figure out that Jesus was starting over a whole new gift. We don't need a little tune-up. We don't need a little help. We need a complete overhaul. We need to be born again. As a matter of fact, one of the most religious guys in the world, Nicodemus, at the time, the most religious guy, ruler of the law, was talking with Jesus there at night, Nicodemus at Nick at night. He was there. That's where we got the... And he's there conversing with Jesus. And Jesus, not impressed, said, guess what, Nick? Unless you're born again, you're not going to heaven. <laughs> I'm Nicodemus. If I'm not going to heaven, then nobody's getting in. And Jesus would say, bingo, you need to be born again. Because there are two ditches that will keep you from relationship with God. One is the religious and one is the rebellious. And Jesus said, I'm coming to make all things new. Now, one of the hard realities in our lives is to realize that we're sick, to come to that humble conclusion that you're not all well, that things aren't all perfect. Some of us got there easier. Maybe there's some more humility or maybe some more obvious traits within some of us that help us come to that conclusion that we're not perfect. Uh, for example, maybe you have your picture on LincolnCountyMugshots.com. You know, we all, you know, it's like, are you perfect? Well, not, not last week, but I'm doing pretty good today. You know what I'm saying? Like, listen, and there's this weird thing that God allows us to go through in life to help us get to the end of ourselves. As a matter of fact, God will allow, maybe this is happening in your life, God will allow things to fall apart, okay? Anything, it doesn't matter. Your, your marriage could, could suffer. There could, there could be health issues. There could be relational fallout. 
There could be emotional breakdown. It doesn't, in order to get you to that point where you realize, dude, I'm all jacked up. I'm all messed up. I remember when I got arrested back in 1998, and all my friends gave me empathy and sympathy. I call them friends, loose term. Those are all my thugs. And they said, oh, look, this is so bad, so, so, uh, you know, and I said, you know what? It's okay. I see what God's doing here. I, I, I see beyond this. This is God's way of letting me hit rock bottom in order that he can do a new work in my life. And God will allow that to happen. You to see your own sickness. As a matter of fact, I used to use the illustration of coming to the end of my rope. And I ran hard from the Lord. And I finally got to the end of my rope where there was just a little knot there hanging. And I had just a little knot. And I had two options. Let go. Or to get on Jesus' back and let him climb back up. And he told me, let go. you can't climb back up. You need, you're done. This is what you have accomplished in your life, Luke. Would you let go and get on my back and I'll climb us out of here? I don't need your help. I'm not going to do a legless rope climb. Not gonna, this is me saving you. And God will do that. Some people here even today are wondering, why is life difficult? Why are things being exposed in my life? Why, are, why am I falling apart? And the Lord would say, maybe, maybe, just maybe, it's me getting your attention for the first time or the umpteenth time, whatever the case may be. But when you understand your need for forgiveness and healing and regeneration, that's when the miracles happen. That's, that's when life changes. Jesus said, I didn't come for the well. I came on purpose for those who know that they have no hope. Yesterday I did a wedding at the end of Otter Crest. It's beautiful. I was 175 degrees. <laughs> the sun actually came down, like touched us a little bit. You know, people were scorching. No, I'm just kidding. But it was, it was, it was beautiful. And I didn't know everybody at the wedding. I knew some people. But one particular lady lives in Corvallis, and she knew who I was, and came and talked to me after the wedding and told me who her son was. Her son and I went to high school together. And her son has, for the better half of his life, been a drug user and abuser. He's currently in a rehabilitation center right now, and he's sober and getting ready to reintegrate into life. And we were talking about the Lord, though. And as much as sobriety is important, okay, it's very important, okay, if you don't write that down, sobriety is important, okay, <laughs> went, went to church today, you know, as, as important as that is, her and I both knew, until he gives his heart to the Lord, until he comes out new, oh, of course I've got problems, of course I've got battles, but until I am born again and live for the king and don't live for myself and pull myself out of the ditch of rebellion and stay out of the ditch of religion until I am in a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's not going to work. It's, I'm going to go back to teen challenge, or I'm going to go back to the Pharisee seat, or I'm going to go back to that ditch <sighs> until you give your life to Jesus. The real need for my friend and for all of us isn't just sobriety. It's submission to Jesus. We need to completely let him take over the wheel, let him lead and let him drive. Okay, when Jesus says he has come for the sick, we have two choices. Uh, one is to pretend we're not sick, and the other is to say, yeah, that's me, totally sick. Okay. Remember when you're a kid and you don't want to miss out on like, you know, recess or something like that or what, you know, it's like, hey, you, you sick? No, I'm fine. I'm just going to go out and play, <laughs> you know, trying to pretend you're not sick and you're holding it in. Listen, don't do that. You're here at church today and I don't care what camp you're in. This message is for both of you, the, the rebels, the rebellious, the sinners, the ones who are holding out, doing stuff. What, that's going to keep you from a relationship with Jesus just every day. It's just the, God wants you to let go of that stuff. Or the religious, that, that community who says, well, I'm not doing that bad. It's not like I, you know, I'm doing better than, than Hitler for sure, you know, today, you know, like that's my scale, like I'm killing it today, you know. And you got to admit that you're sick. And every person in the entire world needs to admit their great need for God to forgive them and to give them a brand new life. Now, the reason we don't do that, again, the reason why we don't uh, go right to Jesus is for those two major obstacles, those two natural operating systems, those two roadblocks, rebellion, which is sin and carnality and evil and all of that, and then religion, which is pride and self-trust and personal justification. Those two R's will keep us out of the one R, which is relationship with Jesus. This is what Jesus is doing right now. You guys know Jesus is on a mission of love? I mean, seriously, he didn't show up and just like give out another 10 commandments. Did you notice that? You know, what if Jesus came, oh man, those first 10, shoot, it didn't work. You know, you guys are all crazy and jails are full and clinics are maxed out and here's 10 more. Ooh, that was close. He didn't do that. He showed up and he said, I'm gonna restore relationship, okay? For the rebels, for the religious, for all y'all. Now again, I say there's two camps here. And I would just ask you, just confess, get a little honest with me. Have you ever been re religious or rebellious? Go ahead and raise your hand. If you've been religious or rebellious, okay? 
if you didn't raise your hand, you're both. Okay, good job, good job. You just, you just, you just, you just said both. We're doing. Oh, I'm not gonna. You know, yeah. Okay, and rebellion, rebellion is that uh, willful sin, self-seeking, small living, rejecting God, and 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 religion though again is a little a little different, a little trickier. That's who Jesus is dealing with today, by the way. Just so you know, he's dealing with the religious crowd. He had just dealt with the rebel crowd, that is Levi, the tax collector, the thug, okay? The, that guy, he'd gotten him out of that lifestyle and was healing all his friends. And now the religious guys show up. It's difficult, more difficult, trickier to sense the re- religion within us than it is the rebellion, okay? Like I said, there's LincolnCountyMugshots.com. You can see the, re- the rebellious. They're right there. There isn't a LincolnCountyMugshot.com for the religious. I think there should be, though. Wouldn't that be awesome if there was a mugshot just for the religious, like this guy got caught being religious, you know, this girl's over there being religious and nose down, you know, sin sniffing. I think that would be funny stuff right there, like just <laughs> all the religious. It's, it's sneakier, though. It's sneakier, though, and I love how Jesus is dealing with it right here. People think that, that God is super mad at sin and sinners, and, and he came to just mess with everyone's system. Listen, Jesus is equally angling his focus on both ditches, the sin and the rebellion and the carnality and the evil that needs to be dealt with, and the religion and the pride and the Phariseeism that needs to be dealt with. Both are equally offensive and keep us from meeting Jesus in this great redemption called salvation. I've been both these guys. I've been the rebellious guy. I've walked that path, and I've also been the religious guy. I remember one time I was so religious, I was talking to this guy who wasn't a believer. And I was giving him all the theology I knew. We were going toe-to-toe. And I kept pigeonholing, cornering him, answering his questions. And I was just getting this guy. And I kind of gave God a wink. I was like, I almost got this guy. <laughs> and the Lord, like, looked at me. I just felt the Lord look at me and say, really? And the Lord just spoke to me and said, I'm just as concerned about him as I am you. And I was just like, whoa, dude. Like, oh, no. we get religious. And the Lord says, hey, careful. I want a relationship with you. He's looking for both groups to repent of their sin, get out of the ditch, onto the road, which is the relationship. Rebellion and sin will keep us from that relationship, and religion and rule-keeping will also keep us from a relationship with Jesus. Now, again, this whole idea is that Jesus came for the rebellious, and he came for the religious in order that he could have a relationship with both of us. stems all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. Remember Genesis chapter 2? There was relationship. God and Adam and Eve and all the creation was legit, no sin. And then all of a sudden, sin entered the world and everything went crazy. And right then, God said, but I'm going to send my son. And he's going to restore a relationship. He's going to deal with the rebellious. He's going to deal with the religion. He's going to deal with all of that. Thousands of years later, the whole story, the grand meta-narrative is Jesus Christ coming to the earth saying, this is what I came for. This is the whole deal, that we would be together, that I would deal with your stuff, Levi, Let it go. Levi rose up, left all, and followed Jesus. Yes! And that Jesus would deal with the religious people. Now, next time we're in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, we're going to talk about other religions. And we're just naturally religious people. We love rules, okay? We love to know where the line is so we can get as close to it and then compare ourselves to others. That's just the way it is. Like, we we love stats. We love systems. And the Lord looks at all that and says, don't replace me with any of that. This is what all of humanity does, okay? There are world religions, crazy religions, cuckoo for Cocoa Puff religions, all the same. All desiring to create a system that uh, elevates and justifies who I am. And Jesus said, I'm trying to get you back to the garden. I'm trying to save you. I've come for the sick, not the well. I've come for the ones that cannot help themselves. And this is where the rubber meets the road and where we do business with the Lord today so if you're here and you're rebellious and you're sinful you want it your way and you're, you're going to just go your route listen don't do it don't stay in that ditch be like Levi rise up leave all admit your sickness had a conversation during the break with a person asked me one question I gave one answer they said see you later took off not going to stay here followed the person out talked to him said what Let's make sure you didn't misunderstand me. What, what, what do you think the answer is to the question? And I'll tell you what. There is this conflict between our rebellion, what we want. I want it to be this way. I want my stuff. I want to stay here. And the Lord would say, 
What's that gaining you? How's that working for you in your rebellion? And when you're finally delivered from that rebellion and restored to relationship, man, you are a different person. That is my prayer for this person that isn't here with us this morning. Relationship is what Jesus came for. It's the entire idea. Let's look at the story now. Look at verse 33. Then they said to him, he said the religious police, why do the disciples of John fast? They fast often and they make prayers and likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. Stop right there, eyes up here. This is actually kind of a good question. The Pharisees show up, they see Jesus and his buddies at a party, a house party. Okay? Now, when I say a house party, you got to understand this. This was a little different than maybe the house parties you've been to. Okay, This was a house party. There wasn't any uh, debauchery or craziness or sin or abuse going on. They were feasting and celebrating life and life abundantly. It wasn't in a sinful, abusive way. Just put that in your mind just so you know this isn't what maybe you're putting into your thought process. This is, though, a party, and it was beyond what the religious people could handle at that time. Oh, 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 oh. And they show up and say, hey, John the baptizer, he prays and fasts often. And we pray and fast often. Here's the question, and I'm going to ask a question they didn't ask. They asked this question, why don't you do this? And Jesus could have said, well, why don't you guys do this, which is party. They say, why don't you pray and fast? And Jesus, if you would, would stop and say, what was your question? Say it to my face. Why aren't we praying and fasting? And Jesus would look behind him. And you know what he would see behind him? Levi, set free. Why am I not heavy and crying right now? <laughs> I'm at a party. Levi's been set free. He's been, he's been forgiven. And he would look beyond Levi, and he would see further on down the road a paralyzed man. Okay? A paralyzed man doing some burpees and jumping jacks, you know, some stretches and some lunges. And he's doing, he's like, he looks back, he's like, you want to know why I'm, not, why I'm at a party? Look at that paralyzed guy. He's freaking out. He would look beyond the paralyzed guy and see the leprous guy standing in the distance too, putting some banana boat on in the sunshine, like new skin, like, you know, the, the, the bronze guy. And he's like, and he would look beyond that guy, not just Levi and the paralyzed guy and the leprous guy. He would see the demoniac guy that had been set free. He's working at the DMV now, you know, and not everything changes, you know, and he's there and he's like, and, and Jesus is like, you're asking me why I'm partying? Do you see what's happening? Are you aware of what I do? Can you understand? Now, the question is good, though. John is praying and fasting. Now, why is John praying and fasting? John the Baptist, Jesus' elder cousin, came to prepare the way for the Lord, okay, through prayer and fasting. Oh, prepare the way for the Lord. The Pharisees were trying to find a way to the Lord through a lifestyle of systems and ordinances. Jesus comes up and says, I am the Lord. John the Baptist trying to find the Lord, prepare the way for the Lord. The Pharisees trying to attain the Lord. Jesus shows up, boom, I am the Lord. And the party begins. What the Pharisees and what John the Baptist were doing, had done, wasn't wrong, but it was being completed right in front of their very eyes. Hey, we fast a bunch. We pray a bunch. Why don't you? Jesus could have said, we party a bunch. We have a lot of fun. Why don't you? And I would actually pose the same question. Jesus showed up and said, I, I am what you're looking for. I'm everything. I am here to take your frown and turn it upside down, a smile. I am here to change you from the inside out. And yet there are so many Christians, maybe like these Pharisees or maybe John the Baptist disciples, there are so many people that don't have that frown yet turned upside down and they look like they've been baptized in pickle juice. I'm a Christian, pretty, pretty hardcore, pretty hardcore, haven't read the funny papers in 20 years, go to church three times a week, you having fun, we're talking about fun, you know, Where's the, is there life, is there fruit happening in your life, they asked this question to Jesus, now in verse 33 it says again, they say likewise the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink, this was uh, not just an assumption, of the Pharisees about Jesus and his boys. You guys eat and drink. They knew. This was, this was common. Jesus loved to party. He loved to set people free. Now the religious in here right now are getting a little uncomfortable. Well, I don't know about party. I wouldn't use that word, you know. Fellowship. He liked a fellowship. This is not, this is party. These guys are being accused of partying because they're partying. 
It's not a misunderstanding. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in many places that Jesus was received by the common man willingly, welcomingly. They loved him. They loved to be around him. Because he, he knew them and loved them. He didn't condone the party and he changed the party and he set people free. But he was invited to the party. He had so much grace. Now again, there's religious people right here. They want a line. Well, where's the line at? Just give me a line so I know where the party stops. I see the line, I'll go to the party, but I'll, you know, you know, whatever, I'm not going to have fun. I'll go, but I won't have fun. Jesus is being accused of having fun at a party because he sets people free. Now, here's the rules. We taught on alcohol, and I just need to hit this real quick, lest any of you think otherwise. This is not an abusive party. This is not a drunken party. This is not crazy. Jesus did not uh, overdrink. Uh, I do believe he did consume alcohol. It's what the Bible pretty clearly teaches, but he didn't abuse it. He wasn't addicted to it. Here are the basic rules for alcohol consumption. Number one, obey the law, okay? You do what the, the law says. No underage drinking, no drinking and driving. Don't, don't, don't break the law. You got to be of age if you're going to use that liberty in Christ. Number two, don't get drunk don't abuse that liberty okay it's a, it's a condition of your heart anyways and if you've done that before or you have uh, been drunk just repent of it don't do it again it's a sin and it's dumb it leads to nothing but but foolishness really uh, thirdly um, don't cause other people in your liberty and freedom to to consume alcohol don't cause other people to stumble if there's an alcoholic a struggling recovering person or maybe a weaker christian that doesn't have that liberty the bible commands you as believers to uh, forfeit that liberty in order to not stumble somebody so there's plenty of rules and guidelines to alcohol consumption by the way lest you get completely out of order there are more verses in the scriptures that warn about alcohol than condone it. There's more scriptures that say, just be careful, okay? We're prone to sin, prone to abuse, prone to addiction, prone to craziness. So don't, don't open up that can of worms. Just stay away if you need to. But if you do consume, follow the guidelines, and you'll stay out of trouble. Jesus, though, the message is, is with sinners, and he is parting, but he's not sinning with them. He's changing their lives. Matter of fact, look at this answer. Verse 34, he's asked point blank by the religious police. Why don't you fast and pray? Instead, you eat and drink. What's going on here? And Jesus, looking at the wake of lives that have been changed in his presence, he uses an illustration, four of them, back to back to back, to answer this religious question. Let's read the first one, verse 34. And he said to them, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. Stop right there, eyes up here. He's in trouble. Jesus is busted by the religious police. He's having too much fun. And Jesus decides to describe who he is and what he does as a wedding. Can you imagine that? You describe yourself as a wedding. Now, we have lots of weddings in here. I did a wedding yesterday. I talked to some people, went to a wedding. I've done hundreds of weddings. I've never been to a Jewish wedding. A Jewish wedding was a party. Seven days long, feasting and drinking, traveling, and oh, the party. And Jesus looks at these religious guys. And if you're a religious here, you need to look at, through Jesus' eyes. And he says, guess what? I'm kind of like a wedding. Who would say that about themselves? I'm like a Jewish wedding. And when you go to a wedding, you don't invite your guests to come in and say, all right, everyone, welcome to the wedding. We're going to fast and pray because something horrible is about to happen. You know? <laughs> Spirituality is hand in hand with miseries. We're not going to eat anything. He's saying, using an illustration, the exact opposite. You want to roll with me? It's kind of like going to a wedding. It's kind of like a party. It's a good wedding. It's going to be fun. In my presence is fullness of joy. What? And at my right hand are pleasures forevermore. What? You guys don't think God loves a party, loves fun? He's trying to restore fellowship with fallen, broken humanity. And in the very beginning when things were awesome and there was no sin, God had fun with his kids and it was a party. And now Jesus says, this is what I'm after. This is what I'm restoring. Don't religious me out. Don't rebel me out. Don't stay in the ditch. Come into relationship with me. Can I tell the people at a wedding to calm down? Just calm down. Chill out. Don't be so excited. Groom's coming out. Everyone stop crying. Bride comes out. Stop. Would you imagine being at a wedding like that? Actually, the wedding I was at yesterday was pretty rowdy. 
And I was talking to the photographer after the ceremony, and she said that in her generic contract and in her specific contract for this wedding, there's a clause that says if the wedding party or the people get too drunk that she'll forfeit all the photos and not have to surrender them without refund if it gets too crazy. And I looked at that and I said, good luck with this crowd. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and we were laughing about it. And that idea, though, man, let's just chill. Just we're trying to just get through this wedding. You know, like what kind of wedding is that? Jesus, this is his logic. Hey, you guys want to be a part of, part of my life? It's going to be fun. It's going to be a party. And it, you get the impression that these religious guys uh, seldom enjoyed anything uh, or themselves or each other or religion or life at all. Like one big burden and chore life is. Did you, did you get that impression? Especially church. There's a family used to go to church, or they go to church here, and they went to a, a different church before here. And part of their exodus and... Uh, uh, yeah coming over uh, to this church was every Saturday night, their kids would go to bed in tears. And the dad said, wait a minute. Why is everyone crying on Saturday night? Because it's Sunday. And he started realizing something was missing. Something was, this isn't, you shouldn't go to church in tears. Ah, <laughs> you know, it's horrible. Jesus is saying, when you come to my presence, if you're doing it right, if you're doing it right, if you're not doing it in a rebellious camp or the religious camp, it's gonna be like a wedding. And the question you have to ask yourself today would be the opposite question they asked Jesus. Why, are, why don't you guys fast and pray? Jesus would say, why aren't you guys having a good time? What's going on? Oh man, I must be in a camp. I must be in the ditch. Why aren't there people in my wake right now that have had their lives changed? Jesus said, can you make the friends fast? Can you just shut them down? Can you make people at a wedding stay calm? You, you can't expect people who truly know Jesus to stop letting their light shine, to stop doing crazy stuff. I mean, when you really are on fire for Jesus, you guess, you've seen this, right? You've, you've done this. If you haven't, you're religious. Oh, yeah. Figured it's the right thing to do. You know? Hey, why'd you get married? Oh, I'm so, so, so in love. We're just so in love. Oh, that sounds fun. Hey, why'd you get married? Oh, that was the right thing to do. <laughs> it's the next, next step of ordinances to fulfill the law. Really? Was it fun? No. But it was right, and that's all that matters. <laughs> is, that, is that how you look at God? Yep, it's the right thing to do. It's Sunday, it's church. You sit down and shut up. It's church. <laughs> and Jesus, he, he'd be mad. So what are you doing? That's not what I'm doing. You can't make people at a wedding calm down. This thing is going global. You won't stop this thing. We send people to Cambodia. We send people to Haiti. We said, willingly, people writing their own checks. I'll go, I'll go. Someone needs to know about Jesus somewhere else. Okay, anywhere else. Can we do something? Can we do hope in the park? Can we go do events? Can we give stuff away? Can we do this? Is this okay? Is this okay? And the religious people, oh, 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 calm down, calm down, calm down. How, how energetic. I, 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 I counsel with couples before they get married. And I try and help them to understand that what is going to happen on their wedding day and especially in their marriage is a gift. It's a celebration. It's not a drudgery. It's not, you know, next level discipline and commitment. You know, it's like, this is a gift. This is a God saying, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to start the redemption relationship process by bringing man and woman together, just like in the garden. God says, you guys don't think I'm any fun. I'm fun. When I created this whole thing, it was a man and a woman and no clothes. Okay, that's how great it was. You religious people are freaking out right now. Read the book. <laughs> Why'd they start out with no clothes? Figure it out, okay? <laughs> oh, it can't be that fun. That's yeah, that fun, okay? Jesus is that fun. He said, I'm going to set you free. I'm going to bless you. Oh. <laughs> oh, man, we better hurry up. Better keep going here. <laughs> One time I was working at the Good Bean Ashland, and the Lord was just working in my heart, brand new. And I was fired up. And I was excited. And these ladies came in and ordered some bagels. And they saw the energy that was in my life and the, the joy. And they said, hey, whatever you had this morning, we'll take some of that. And I said, you want to know what I've had? And they got kind of serious, like, yeah, dude, tell us what you got, bro. <laughs> and I said, all right, I'm going to drop it on you. I'm going to drop it on you. I said, I got up earlier than I needed to. And I spent some time reading the Bible. 
And I gave my heart and my mind to, to God and I had fellowship with him and, and, and truly was seeking him and was so blessed by his presence. And now I'm living my day today for his glory, not my own. And I have great hope and anticipation for what he's doing. And it's just amazing. And, and if you want some, I can give you some of that too. And I'll no, we'll just take the bagels, bro. We'll just take the bagels. We're good. Jesus here with his bros partying, set free. It's just the, it's the litmus test. Where are you at today? Well, I want to stay rebellious in this camp. Okay. Okay. Well, I want to stay religious and, you know, serious over here in this. Okay. Or I want to have a trail of people behind me that have their lives changed. And I want to walk in fellowship with God. Closeness. Fellowship's like two fellows in a ship. Okay? Real close. Connecting with each other. Jesus is getting accused. Can't you just calm down? Can you, can you make the bridegroom friends fast and pray you know this is kind of the question then for, for you and I how, how full of joy are you and how full of energy and zeal are you to, to walk with the Lord and if you don't have any just answer the question why? why why don't I do crazy stuff for God why am I not bubbly and joyful got my hair cut by Pablo Tafoya this week and we just have some really good fellowship one of the comments that that Pablo brought up was the energy that he and, and even myself had put into our old lives to, to be those guys. The energy and the sacrifice and the commitment for the wrong things, the dark side. And now living for the light side, the right side. What, what are we willing to do for that side? Where's our commitment, our sacrifice, our zeal, our joy? And if you're like me or Pablo and have a story where you, you went hard in the paint for the wrong team, okay? I made great sacrifices for the wrong team. And now the Lord says, hey, get out of that ditch. Get in a relationship with me. And are, are you willing to go hard, run with zeal? Maybe get in trouble, do some things, go on a mission trip, sacrifice, serve in the kids' wing, go to Hope in the Park, start a life group, serve your neighbors, pray, bless your spouse, just do stuff. These religious police with their arms and their robes and hats on big, why are you guys so happy? And Jesus out. You're really asking me that, are you? Let me break it down for you. Look at the next, uh, I, let me just finish actually that first thought. He does say the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and they will fast in those days. Now, when was Jesus taken away from the, his buddies? He was taken away on that Friday night where he was then led to the cross of Calvary, crucified and then buried in the tomb. And during that Friday night and that Saturday, even that early Sunday morning, they were fasting. The bridegroom was gone. That's when they were destroyed and devastated. That's when they couldn't handle life. That's when they stopped it all. And then Jesus rose from the dead and then says, come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest for your souls. Let's party. The tomb is empty. The deed has been done. Now the message needs to be preached. Jesus said, there'll be a day, guys, but not this day. Look at verse 36. Then he spoke a parable to them. Now again, just pinch yourself. Jesus dealing with the religious police. He's given them one answer. He's actually given them two. The, the sick need a doctor. They know that. I didn't come for the not sick. Oh, and by the way, if you're at a wedding, are you going to tell everyone to be quiet and shut up and sit down? Like, that's not the kind of wedding I'm trying to go to. And then he goes on to give two more, maybe three more illustrations. He wants them and you and I to get this. Verse 36. Then he said to them, no one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear. And also the piece that was taken out of the new doesn't match the old. Stop right there. Eyes up here. These religious police want to know, what are you up to, Jesus? What's going on here? Why is this happening? He's like, look, you, you can't take a new patch from a new garment, cut it up, ruin it, and then throw that new patch on an old garment that's broken, needs a patch. Because if you throw a new patch on an old garment, the old garment will ultimately tear and not receive that new patch. It just doesn't match. What Jesus is saying is, I'm not here to patch things up. I'm not here just to give you a hand up or a little help or some advice. It's not that your Judaic system needs a little bit of overhaul. It doesn't work that way. It won't fit. It will destroy one with another. And you need to know this about religion, this idea of the list, the rules, the Ten Commandments, or if you read the entire New Testament, the 685 commandments. Okay, there's more than just ten. Is my microphone going in and out? I think we're going to be all right. It's not just about the religious system. It's about the relationship that God wants you and I to walk in. Did you know that the religious system was actually created for a purpose? To be a tutor, to drive us to Christ? 
to make us more aware of our inabilities. He says, guys, I'm not trying to just patch this up. Instead, I want you to know that you can't do this on your own. As a matter of fact, Galatians chapter three, this is a life verse. You guys need to memorize this one. It says, therefore, the law was a tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Paul says, guess what? The law, the religion, it was given for a reason, to drive us to the point of tapping out, to drive us to the point of receiving Christ. He says, I'm not just here to patch things up and make things better. As a matter of fact, look at this next verse. I really want you guys to get into this before we're done. Our time is almost over. It says, and no one, verse 37, puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins and both are preserved. Jesus says, I'm not here just to patch up the old system. And let me go even further, he would say. You can't take new wine and put new wine into an old wineskin. A wineskin would be this leather pouch, if you would, that would hold that wine. When you put new wine into it, the effervescent, bubbly, sparkly gases would begin to grow and it would burst that old wineskin. It wouldn't work. He does give us the solution. He says you can take new wine and put it into a new wineskin. But before we get there, let me use this illustration a little further. Jesus says you can't take something new, what I'm doing, and put it into the old. It's not going to work. It's going to burst that old wine skin. And I don't know if this ever happened to you when you got saved or when you got set free, but doesn't that kind of describe a new believer? Effervescent, bubbly, kind of new thing and kind of explosive and exciting. And you come around some of those old, crusty Christian wine skin type people. And you're like, man, Jesus is real. And they're like, yeah, I know. I know. We all, we all know that. Go sit down. You know? Man, Jesus saved my life. Yeah, yeah calm down. Calm down, okay, you know, we're, and, and I, I, this happened to me when I got saved, and I was so fired up, and I would come into other people's lives and explain to them, and have you seen this prophecy in Daniel chapter 11? You know, I'm breaking it down for them, and they're like, whoa, 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 calm down, it'll wear off, it'll wear off. I had someone tell me that, it'll wear off. I was like, it'll wear off, what are you talking about? Jesus says, you can't take new wine and put it into an old wineskin. Okay? You'll lose the wine, you'll lose the wineskin. It doesn't work. But there's a solution. There is a way that this can happen. This new, effervescent, bubbly relationship with Jesus can be preserved. Look at what he says in verse 38. He says, but new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Huh. So if I have new wines, which is Jesus... It needs to be put into a new wineskin. Now, there's something interesting in the Greek language. When Jesus says new in reference to wine, it's the word neos. And in the Greek, it literally means new. <laughs> okay? New wine, like a fresh batch of wine. Neos. Now, when he says new wine, neos, needs to be put into a new wineskin, he doesn't use the word neos. He uses the word kaios for the same English word, new. And it doesn't mean new. It means renewed. He says, guys, here's the solution. If God's doing a new thing, and we pray he is, if God's doing a new thing, and we've seen that that's what he does, Jesus says, you can take that new wine, and you can put it into a new wineskin. That is a chaos, a renewed wineskin. You see, wineskins would get old, brittle, and dry, and eventually not work. Until, and they were expensive, you wouldn't just throw them out, until they were renewed. And do you know how you would renew a wineskin? You would dunk it and submerse it and soak it in a bucket of water until it would hydrate again and become supple and pliable and useful. And then you could take it out and put new wine, brand new wine into this renewed wineskin. And Jesus here is teaching these guys something. He's teaching you something. Hey, guys, I got new wine. I got a whole new program. I got a whole new thing. I'm not just going to patch up your system. I want to give you something brand new. Well, how can I make sure I receive it then as a Christian? He says, you need to renew your wineskin. You need to get your heart and your soul and suck it, suck it, soak it in God's. <laughs> hey, hey. We're going with a 9 a.m. service for the broadcast. And you need to soak it in the bucket of God's word submerse it in God's presence. How are you going to keep your heart supple? How are you going to stay pliable and useful? It's really true. You guys have heard it before. 
by spending time in the water of God's word. If you're a Christian here today, and I presume a lot of you are, you want God's new wine. I want something new. I want to get into this. I want this to be part of my life, but I just, I don't know. It doesn't fit any. You need to renew your wineskin. You need to soak in God's word and let his word make you useful once again. You might say to yourself, I read God's word one time back in 1983. It was legit. <laughs> it would be like telling me that you had a glass of water last month. I drank some water last month. Doesn't count. You guys know that? Your water you had last month doesn't count anymore. You need water right now. If you want to be a Christian moving forward that stays out of the ditch of rebellion, I pray that's true. I hope today you just say, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm a, ah, sorry. And if you want to stay out of the ditch of the religious side, um, got my own list, my own rules, my own justification, and all the rest. If you want to stay out of that ditch, the way to do so is by renewing your heart in God's word daily. Did you know you can read the entire Bible in 71 hours? Just take 71 hours straight through. If you need a little more time than that, you can break it up into 12 minutes per day, okay? That'll be one year long, okay? You can read the whole Bible, 12 minutes per day. Wouldn't that be awesome? Just 12 minutes, just read it. It's not for lack of time. It's because of the rebellion that's in our heart and because of the religiosity that says we don't need it. Read his word daily. As a matter of fact, Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 says that when we meditate on God's word and when we seek God in his word, that he will make our ways prosperous and give us much success. Now the last thought, now just pinch yourself. You can write that verse down and look it up later and read it. The last thought that Jesus gives us is in verse 39. I want you to understand this. The religious police ask Jesus a question. He's given him multiple answers. And finally, he says something very interesting. He says, and no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. Stop right there, eyes up here. Can we go get the kids quieted down out there, Marty? Basketball or NBA championship outside right now. <laughs> Jesus says this. If you have drank in the old wine and are given the new wine, you're going to be like this. Uh, I just kind of like the old way. I don't necessarily want this new wine. That's what he says. But he uses a key word in here. says immediately. You who are Christians have seen this to be true. That when Jesus introduces himself to you, that at first in your flesh, you maybe reject some of the things of God. Like, ah, I kind of like the old system. I like the old ways. And it takes a while for you to adapt a taste for what God has given to you. Jesus is promising you, though, if you taste and see that the Lord is good, you will trust in him and you'll be blessed. Last night I was cooking some chicken and some halibut, okay, side by side. And my daughter, she's six, and she's not a big fish fan yet. And so I'm trying to get her to, like, you know, figure out that it's not a weird, you know, meat. And so I took some of the fish, and I tricked her. And I said, hey, Keisha, would you come and taste this chicken and see if you like it? <laughs> but there's some cumin on it and paprika and some other stuff. And so she didn't like that chicken. But anyway, the point is this. She's growing in her taste. Jesus said something here for you Christians. He said the person who gets the new wine is going to respond by saying, I kind of like the old. And they won't go towards the new wine immediately. In other words, they will eventually if you continue to taste of what the Lord is offering you. If you're here today and God's drawing you deeper and he wants to have you nearer and there's something in your flesh that says, I don't know if I want to give up my old ways, my old music, my old friends, my old thought life. I kind of like that. Jesus is like, I, I know, I get it. I get it. But go ahead and try this new wine. You're going to love it. I remember when I first got real serious about the Lord. And this guy invited me to the Applegate Christian Fellowship to go worship Jesus Christ on Monday morning at 6.30 a.m. with one old guy on stage playing some funky Christian songs. And he picked me up. It was January in his little Winnebago or his Volkswagen bus. And we drove out there. I just remember, I remember the whole thing because it was so foreign to who I was. And playing on his radio, AM 1300, some of the kookiest Christian music I've ever heard in my life. And I was looking at this guy and go, what are we listening to I was used to DMX and Silk the Shocker and Master P and a bunch of other crazy people. And here's my point. Eventually, though, I found myself tuning into the same radio station. I want to hear that kooky Christian music. Eventually, I found myself going to the bookstore at the Applegate Christian Fellowship and buying every kooky Christian music CD they had available. I want all of this. And I changed my whole repertoire and my whole uh, palette of what I enjoyed watching and listening to. Here's the deal, Christian. Jesus is calling you out of religion into relationship. He's not calling you to just patch up a system, but instead he wants to make all things new. And he would ask you to taste and see that he's good. 
Maybe you're a rebel here today and you still got some things like, ah, this is what I do. This is who I am. I'm kind of, this is it. And God would say, let, let it go. Let it go. Trust me. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be better. You will. Look at verse 39 again. And no one having drunk old wine immediately desires the new, for he says the old is better. Jesus is talking to religious police who are rejecting his message. He's saying, I understand. I get it. You will come around, though. It will change your life. You will taste and see. I'm going to have the worship team come up and join us and lead us in repentance and communion as we come to the table and confess our sins and our great need for God. And I would say there's two camps here, religious and the rebellious. Both camps, equally offensive, keep you from fellowshipping with God. Both camps need to be repented of so you might find yourself restored to Jesus. And so I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads as we pray. And those of you who are religious, who have your own set of rules and your own set of ideas and your own set of justifications, need to let that go and let the Lord forgive you and those who are here who are rebellious. You, you've got sin and carnality protected and a position in your heart where you haven't surrendered. And whatever the case may be, I would ask you to bow your heads and pray right now as we prepare to take communion. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for your love, for your son, Jesus, who is so bold and so right and so rich to come to the party and to set people free and to go toe-to-toe with sinners and to say, let it go. Repent of that junk. Don't stay there. And to go toe-to-toe with the religious and to say, guys, guys, I'm a wedding. There's something fun going on here. The Garden of Eden is being recovered. Genesis 1 and 2, we're bringing it back. This is a good day. Jesus Christ sets sinners free, sets the religious free, sets captives free, gives us the ability to walk free. And so if you're here today and you're rebellious still or you're religious still and you're not free and you know you're all stowed up and bound up and jacked up, whatever the case is, and you want to repent of your sin, repent of your religion, repent of your rebellion, would you just raise your hand right now and say, yeah, Lord, I just want to be closer to you. I need to get on the road of relationship. Put your hand up nice and high. If you're a rebel or a religious person, don't, don't miss out the opportunity. Put your hand up and say, Lord, I want to be in relationship with you. I want to walk closer, nearer and dearer to you. Lord, you see the hands going up, and I pray you would do a mighty work in Jesus' name, Lord, restoring. Even as we come to the table and examine ourselves, Lord, proclaim your death before you return and realize that, Jesus, you did all of this. We surrender to you, Lord, and say, teach us about you. Lead us to you. May we be, Lord, like the disciples of Jesus who were listening to you and serving others, set free to be free indeed. We love you. We do what we do now in Jesus' name. And everybody said,